You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Wisconsin. I'm out of ESPN Wisconsin affiliates at the moment, so I will just have to be the ESPN Wisconsin Milwaukee Bucks reporter for now. Joining me shortly will be my good friend and the founder of Brew Hoop, Frank Madden. And yeah, I don't know really big news here for the Bucks at all today. Uh, just uh, a pretty basic day. And that means we have one more day left in the podcast. Next week, we're, we're going to talk a little bit. Uh, some uh, Multiple people had suggested doing the pickup game that we've done before in the past where uh, Frank and I select two game, or two teams for a pickup game from the Bucks roster. Uh, we'll probably do that next week. Uh, we had a couple people talk a little bit about... Um, about Chris Middleton and where he may rank around the league. So we might do that next week. And then uh, Mission Impossible Fallout came out. I saw it. Frank saw it. Our good friend J.J. Bursch saw it. Uh, We've been teasing J.J. with this idea for a long time. And I think we're actually going to do it. Uh, where we talk a little bit about Mission Possible, we talk a little bit about Tom Cruise, and we just generally have a fun podcast that might not totally be Bucks related, but it should be a lot of fun. Uh, it's one that we've been looking forward to for a long, long time. So all of that coming up for you next week, but for now, we need the final part of our mailbag. A lot of fun stuff in this one. And uh, I would say uh, some good snark from both Frank and I as we talk about a couple different topics today. So should end up being fun. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed this mailbag and we will talk to you on Monday. But for now, I'll hand it over to Frank. This is a question. I think we kind of I should have grouped this with another. Nathan Clemente asked, um, I'm sure people would Mark Brogdon is high floor being older out of college, having a big first year with it being a contract year and having an injury in year two. How big of a jump do you think he has to make in his third year to justify a big deal? I think we kind of answered this, right? Like basically yep. saying, essentially just proving that he can be a starter. And, and I mean, his most obvious path is starting at shooting guard. Um, but his most valuable position would probably be starting at, at point guard and, and being able to prove he could be that. But obviously that would mean some sort of reckoning with, with Bledsoe. So I think that's probably would be our answer there. Um uh, Kurt Leitinger, our friend Kurt, asks, what do you think Lazary does first when he gets to take over as the governor, i.e., does he insta-fire horse and replace him? Does he ditch Thorne? What would you do? Um, this is alluding to Mark Lazary taking over the um, NBA Board of Governors seat that uh, Wes Edens currently holds um, as part of the ownership agreement. They, they basically, uh, you only have one, so when you have like two, or, or in this case, three primary owners, you just, you just rotate it between them. Um and so the first five-year term is ending, I guess, this coming year, I guess. 
Um, and so there's, you know, I'm sure people have heard some speculation, especially last year during the, you know, uh, GM hiring debacle that Wes Edens was uh, the focal point of um, essentially Wes Edens holding the rest of uh, ownership group hostage who wanted to keep Justin Zanuck and, you know, the rest is history. So um, I, I don't really, I, I don't know, I don't really foresee Mark Lazary doing anything rash or, or doing anything to sort of fly in the face of, um, you know, what the rest of the organization does. I mean, you basically have a trump card. You sort of have a, you know, you can kind of make the final call as, as the governor, basically. Like you can't, you know, for instance, you can't, uh, you know, if if the governor doesn't want to do something, the GM or, or the other owners can't, you know, basically do it effectively. Sort of what I guess the way it works, or at least my understanding from from what we heard really last year during the the Edens Zanuck Horst uh, fiasco. Um, but I don't really foresee anything happening immediately. I think again, if the Bucks have like a very disappointing season, then I think certainly there could be pressure piled on John Horst, uh, especially if you know again that you look back on his moves and say, well, th- those didn't pro- let us progress any farther. Um, but then again, I mean, you've talked about this, uh, and we've alluded to it. Sure, seems like Mike Budenholzer has a lot of say over personnel right now. So. Um, if the Bucks disappoint this year, then does John Horst say, well, I was just being collaborative and going along with many of the great ideas that Mike Budenholzer had. And he's your, you know, presumably the guy that you view, you know, I, I don't think the Bucks are going to look to fire Mike Budenholzer next summer. So um, I don't know. It's it's a really interesting scenario. I, I would be surprised, though, if anything kind of happened right away. And again, as since we're both in the camp of expecting the Bucks to actually be pretty good next year, um, you know, for better or worse, I think you know, improvement sort of spawns, um, no rash changes, I guess. Um, but by the same token, next summer is going to be a huge one. And, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting to see, I mean, w- what can John Morris do for, uh, for, for the Bucks in the summer of 2019 with Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe, Malcolm Brogdon, all hitting free agency. Um, you know, if you're not sold on your GM at that point, um, that's a pretty scary position to be in if, if you're going to that summer and, and not feeling like your, your front office is in order. I think this one is tough because, as we've talked about in the past, uh, the the option by Wes Edens and the ultimate decision to, you know, kind of stall out last off season and then ultimately go with John Horst was, in many ways, a nuclear type option. Like they they'd kind of, but it kind of been you know their thought process that everything was collaborative and they worked together on stuff and you would you know, work with the other owners to make a decision. And he kind of flew in the face of that as they had lined up Justin Zanuck to be the GM. So um, I can see why Kurt asked the question, because I think it does open up that possibility that, you know, once Lazary does have the, the governor's seat, that he wants to do the same things. But um, I think at least last year, you were in a spot where you, you needed a new GM. And you had to hire one and you had to go through that process while if things go as I suspect they go this year, this Bucks team wins 50 games. This Bucks team wins a playoff series. And I think you would, you would draw a lot more questions from those on the outside. Uh, if all of a sudden your team wins 50 games in the second you get the governor's seat, you're like, oh, GM's gone. 
I think people would be like, what is going on there? And uh, any of the whispers of an ownership group that is not working together, is not seeing things in the same way, um, would only intensify. It would only get louder. And I just don't know if if that's the vibe you want to put off to any of your free agents. Uh, If that's the vibe you want to put off to, you know, the one guy that you really desperately need to sign a super max the following off season. Like, I, I don't know if any of that would make sense. So, um, an, an instant fire of, of Horst and replacing him to me doesn't make, uh, make a lot of sense. Um, so I, I would say for the large part, I think it would be a pretty quiet transition. Uh, I can't imagine there will be a lot, but again, that is, that is me viewing this season as a season where the Bucks likely win 50 games. So if that doesn't happen, I mean, I would say probably all bets are off that, you know, maybe some things could get blown up. But for now, I think it would be it'd be really surprising to see it go that way next summer. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anything can be counted out, right? I think after sort of the last couple summers and, yep. and some of the friction that, that, that's kind of spilled over into public view, We'll see, right? Um, and again, that's not something I, I, I certainly was pretty surprised by what we saw a year ago. And after that, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, I think that's that's just kind of one of these things we have to monitor. I think it's out there. Um, and um, again, I don't, you know, like Brian Winhorst made that comment about like, oh, well, coaches are, are the Bucks' job, but isn't actually that attractive because coaches don't know what, you know, could happen when the governor thinks what uh, flips, which to me just seemed like a real overstatement of things because again like we said at the time it's not like mark glasry is like sitting in a corner refusing to say what he wants to do and just waiting for the governor job to flip right i mean do you think brian winhorst knows any coaches or any coaches agents <laughs> yeah that was that that seemed like a clear leverage play winhorst just sort of you know playing that card for for whoever right maybe even mike budenholzer i'm not um, saying i'm just saying <laughs> But, but yeah, uh, it, it turned out the Bucks job was was plenty uh, attractive, and um, you know the, the Raptors, uh, the Raptors for for as, as much as uh, they don't have some of the friction that the Bucks had, um, clearly had a, a seemingly a harder time figuring out what they want to do with their coach than, than the Bucks. Friend of the pod, Ty Bauschik asks serious question: What are your thoughts on the idea of seeding the teams one through sixteen, no matter the conference? outlandish question name four players you would dream of pairing next to Giannis. let's start with the the conference seating question any any objections to doing that i think we've heard a lot of discussion about why it wouldn't happen namely that um i think what 60 percent of of owners i think would have to approve of something like that and at any given time half the league's owners have an incentive not to do that because if you're in the weaker conference you don't want to endanger your chance of making a playoff seed but again um, I think the interesting hypothetical question would be if you agreed to something like this and maybe you said like in 10 years we're going to institute it. So like, you know, no, no one has an incentive because presumably the East won't just be perpetually weakened. Yep. Um, but like as a fan, as an observer of the game, would you think this is a good idea or do you think like the travel issues, things like that are big enough that you would would not be in favor of, of 1 through 16 seating? Uh, for me, I, I think... The travel issues, uh, I think they're real, but maybe not as real as uh, owners trying to vote against it would present it to be. Um, So I do think there is something that is actually real there. Um, But to me, the big thing is if you're going to see the teams 1 through 16, everyone has to play the same schedule. And I think that's probably where the biggest 
hurdle would be for me is because uh, I, like my brain just can't I know you could do it you could say whatever you're playing this conference you're playing this conference you're playing these teams more than these teams and at the end of the year we're going to see them one through 16 no matter the conference but uh, from a competitive standpoint I'd be I don't know how you can square that up like the goal of seeding the teams one through 16 is to make everything more competitive and fair for teams in both conferences well I just see that hurdle not going anywhere like well, you got to find a way to make everyone play the same schedule then. Um, and then again, the travel issues come back up. So, um, I, I get why it would be exciting to see and why people would want to see it. Um, but at the same time, like, I just don't really, I just don't know that it's possible. I, I see. I don't, I think the whole imbalanced scheduling is a bit of a red herring. Cause I mean, for years now, the issue has been, Teams that are like the ninth seed in the West has been better than the seventh and eighth seeds or whatever in the East, right? Well, aren't they've faced a harder schedule anyway? So, if they're overcoming that, is that even really a big deal? Like, we're saying we can't even do it, even though the teams in the West playing the harder schedule or actually have better records anyway, right? I mean, am I missing something here? Like, why? Like, is that I mean, I, I understand the, the, the thesis of you can't really. You know, there's, there'll always be some inequity in seeding one through 16 if teams don't play the same balanced schedules. But at least in recent years, I mean, that really hasn't been a factor, right? Because it hasn't been the weaker conference having be getting screwed over, right? Uh, I, I guess my bigger problem is if you're trying to improve things, like we're just cool with taking small steps. Like if that if that's the case and you don't actually want to fix everything, like that's fine. But uh, to me, the logic behind it all just doesn't make any sense. Like if we're gonna fix it, let's like fix it, fix it. Yeah, I I don't think I I actually don't feel like you should we should ever necessarily even have balanced schedules. I think you know because there are different things you can do, right? I mean, you could say we're gonna have the top eight in the east, the top eight in the west, and then we're just gonna do a one through sixteen seating among that, right? That would be kind yeah. of a, a a weaker solution versus actually seeding one through 16 out of the whole league right where you could have for instance the first 10 teams be from the west and the next six be from the east right that would be probably the more idealized scenario that people are talking about where um you know i think the the balance schedule stuff maybe does come more into play um i, I don't know i think it might be interesting though um because I, I, th I think we're trying to get to different the, people have different goals too right like one of the goals is like how do you make sure that a crappy eight seed in one conference doesn't get in over a good nine or 10 seed in the other conference. That might be one solution you're trying to get to. The other thing that I think people are trying to get to is they don't want one conference to effectively have the finals before the actual finals. Right. To yeah. me, that's probably the bigger fundamental thing, but I think those are probably the two big topics. And, you know, if you did sort of the one through eight in in East one through eight in the West, and then you just, you know, actually do a one through 16 seeding only once you've actually gotten the pool. So you still have equal, um, contributions from East Conference, but then you essentially reseed once you get the playoff pool. You would, could at least still solve, you know, the well. Then the Rockets and Warriors don't have to play until the finals problem, um, yep. which would have been last year's problem, not necessarily the future. But um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't mind any of those things to be honest. Um, I guess there is something kind of cool about like being champion of a conference. Uh, and selfishly, as a Bucks fan, let's be honest. Um, there's an easier path in the East than there is in the West, at least for the next few years, most likely. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm, I'm generally in favor of kind of doing things in more fair ways and, 
you know, if if the best reason to do it is we've always done it this way, then that's generally not a very satisfying reason. Um, the other question, Ty, I had four players you would dream of pairing next to Giannis. Uh, I know Steph Curry is one of those guys. <laughs> I was just, <laughs> just going to say the same thing. We, we got the point guard spot locked down. We know that one. Um, I, what do you think of Clay Thompson at shooting guard? Sure. Yeah. Why don't we Why don't we alternate here? Um, alternate uh, options. So I'll say uh, yeah. I'll say Clay Thompson. You, you can say Clay Thompson. Um, I would think another interesting archetype would be a um, floor stretching five. So like a unicornish mm-hmm. five. Um, I, I was about to say, you know, just for 2014 draft, um, reset purposes, you know, Embiid next to Giannis, the, what might have been option. Um, but then I could say, well, as you always like to point out, Joel Embiid actually didn't shoot three pointers well last year. So <laughs> maybe he's not the best option. Um, so let's just say, uh, Chris F's Porzingis. Wouldn't it be fun to see Ooh. Chris F's Porzingis, um, bombing threes from 30 feet, uh, stretching the floor for Giannis. That could be pretty fun too. Yeah, I kind of like that. I, I personally, I was thinking Horford, uh, just so Giannis doesn't yeah. have to defend centers, uh, and you know Horford can do some, not all of Giannis the cool. Still get his points. Yeah. <laughs> like he can't do all of those cool unicorny things that uh, Porzingis can do, but maybe he's a little bit more solid defensively. Um, and then I guess this is kind of the tough spot where, like, what do you need in a small forward there? Like, I, I feel like. I feel like you could do kind of like the obvious Kevin Durant, but the idea is the dream of pairing next to Giannis. And I would assume in this dream, you want Giannis to be the best player on the team. Uh, so to me, that sort of knocks out uh, Durant and LeBron. And uh, I guess like, what do you think of uh, like Trevor Ariza? What do you think of that as your small forward? Do you think you, you have enough size bulk? Do you think you have enough speed? Like, what do you, what do you think there? Uh well, I, I am a long-term Trevor Ariza appreciator, uh, given my wife is a Rockets fan. Um, but what is it, Trevor, 33, 34? Yeah. Um, you know, but if you're thinking about, like, role players that could have been interesting to play with the Bucs, um, you know, certainly he could have been an interesting an interesting guy. You know, it's sort of a, you know, more idealized Tony Snell type type version, I guess, something like that. Um, but, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I, I can't be bothered to think about non-superstars. Come on, come on. That's, that's just not a... <laughs> so Durant, it is for you? You, you want, Durant would be the guy? It'd be pretty fun, right? Yeah, it would. Durant and Giannis. <laughs> It'd be pretty fun. Uh, actually, I think I think Kawhi and Giannis could have also been pretty fun Ooh, just because Giannis yeah. is, to me, more of a you know big in terms of defense, whereas Kawhi is just like an incredible wing defender. Um, Kawhi also not really a playmaker, but can score and shoot. Um, that could have been a really interesting combination as well. Um, I've got some more Giannis-related questions, and we maybe can wrap up here. Brandon Lowersdorf asks, are you sensing any Giannis quote-unquote backlash for the upcoming season? One national writer recently called him quote-unquote a little overrated on a recent podcast using, a perform- using his performance in the playoffs as an example. I don't get it, but we'll love your thoughts. Um, pretty sure he's referring to uh, uh, Kevin O'Connor referring to Giannis as, I believe he used the int- intonation a little bit overrated. And this came up in the context of uh, Giannis versus Kawhi best in the East debate and basically oh, the, I figured it was going to be a Giannis versus Jason Tatum debate and somehow <laughs> Jason Tatum would be better no um, oh. no it was because oh, they oh yeah no I don't know why I would think there'd be a Boston bias there that's so weird I don't know why I thought that that's that was yeah, my mistake yeah yeah um but uh yes it was the question was if if Kawhi is is the Kawhi of old um Kawhi said it wouldn't or Kevin O'Connor insists it wouldn't even be close uh, in the East. Oh, um, my God. That's such course, a terrible was, opinion. 
I was not happy. And by the way, here are Giannis's playoff stats. 25.7 points, 9.6 boards, 6.3 assists, <laughs> 1.4 steals, 0.9 blocks on 62% true shooting. Um, yeah, 20, almost 27 PER, plus 7, box plus minus. Uh, league's, what, number one defense? Thank you very much. Um, yep. Yeah, I... I I, and I also, I also got pretty annoyed because Kevin, um, Kevin made reference to Giannis's playmaking not really evolving, which I also I think in this in this mailbag I also alluded to. But how do you? Uh, it's great. Like Kawhi is probably the like worst playmaker of all the like super elite players. Like he just doesn't really make other people better offensively. So that seemed like a weird one. I just again I think people just like because they can find an obvious flaw in Giannis's game, which is his outside shot. They use that as rationale for saying that he's not therefore like the perfect player when well he's that good at everything that he can be better than everybody even with a flaw you know i, I don't know like I, I don't know I, I mean i've talked about this right i, I don't think Kawhi can just waltz in after a year off the court and just be presumed to be the best player in the east um but it'll be fun fun to watch it um and again i think you know i think people just sort of they let the fact that Giannis has an obvious weakness just sort of blind them to the fact that it doesn't really matter in some in some ways um that he's just ridiculously good, but I will say this: as far as the clash, I think if Giannis doesn't make the play, doesn't make the second round, I think there'll absolutely be. I don't know if it'd be a backlash, but I think like oh, you know, I think it'd be more a case of like well, Giannis is going to want to go elsewhere um, on his next contract. I think that's going to be probably the bigger backlash. It'll probably be more against the Bucks than against Giannis in particular, because as we've seen, Giannis generally does rise to the occasion. He has played well. Also, I just wanted to hop in and say, the next summer, someone nationally doesn't call Giannis a little bit overrated will be the first. Like this has been this has been the story of his career. Like every single year, like oh, is Giannis really that good? Yeah, you idiots, he is. Like uh, I don't really know like what else to say. And obviously, uh, to some extent, we'll be biased because we watch all of his games. But I mean, shit. When you watch the ways that he impacts game, like just like it, there's it's just silly to say that he is overrated or anything like that. And I think you bring up a good point because. You can see, oh, well, you know, in the playoffs, he's going to get bogged down because he can't hit the jumper. Well, that wasn't true. Like, he didn't get bogged down in the playoffs against the Celtics. Like, he was able to get to his spots. And were there rough spots? Yes. Is there rough spots for every player that's the number one uh, player on their team as they are playing a very good defense? Like, do those happen to all players? Yes. Pretty much, um, unless your name's LeBron James, like those things all occur, and I just think, like you said, it's easy to say LeBron or Giannis doesn't have a jumper, so that means he's overrated, and like it's just to me, it just feels incredibly lazy, and it would suggest like you're not watching enough of Giannis if you think that's gonna happen. And uh, as far as Giannis backlash goes, no, um, he's incredibly lovable. He's incredibly personable. Uh, people generally like his demeanor. Um, like, I don't know if a national backlash would, like you said, come at the hands of the Bucks, not at Giannis, because uh, I, I don't see a time when he's he's no longer everyone's like favorite little fun superstar. Yeah, little. Probably not being the right word there, but we'll we'll let it go. But that's what, like, um, you know what I mean? Like, oh, he's so innocent, he's so naive. Like, that's how people always talk about Giannis. Like, oh, Giannis, he's so fun and cute, and like, he's also a total badass. That's one of the best players in the league. Yeah, he's super likable. He's he's really kind of 
his he's found like the perfect kind of intersection of like intensity and on court sort of badassness, but then also like likable, lovable, mm-hmm. and not really having any really detractors uh, in kind of off the court you know, or just in general. So it's uh, I mean it's, it's it's difficult. I mean you, it's it'd be hard to really dream up a better guy to root for really yep. right i mean it's, it's crazy when you step back and you think about you know the the joy of watching a guy like Giannis as you know a player but then also like the fact that you know what he's like as a person makes it that much better at bubs gets the show asks who are you rooting for if team usa and greece play and Giannis is playing i think i've said this before i it's really not any competition i I'd be rooting for Giannis. I mean, I don't really care about anybody who's on wow. Team USA. I mean, I like if this was like some random like group of underdog, you know, Miracle on Ice guys, then like then it, obviously it'd be much more about Team USA. But if you're talking about like a bunch of like superstars who I don't even particularly like from the NBA playing against Giannis, please go Greece. Wow. Um I was, I was And I did the same thing like when Andrew Bogut back in the day was on Australia, I always rooted for Australia in those games. I have a long history of in Olympic basketball of being a turncoat and not rooting for for the Americans because I generally just whatever don't really care about the players on the American team. Um, I was telling someone this this past weekend uh, because we were like kind of talking about like oh um, like what are you actually a fan of anymore? And like I told them like I mean I've since I've started covering teams like I've I've kind of gotten rid of my fandom like that part of me doesn't really exist anymore. And I know you and I have talked about this before, uh, both on the podcast and off the podcast, like those things, like it just doesn't exist for me. Like I'm, I'm numb to seeing the bucks win a game or lose a game or anything like that. Like all of that has kind of disappeared for me. Um, the one thing I still allow myself to be a fan of is team USA, anything. Um, so if it's like team USA in a men's or women's world cup, like I will go crazy for those two events. Um, and then like Olympics, uh, summer, winter, like I'm, I'm flag waving team USA guy all the way. So, um, I would, I would be on the team USA side of things, uh, just because that's kind of like the one bit of fandom I still have. Yeah, but I see. I don't. Are you are you like kind of equating like a uh, like Team USA soccer and Team USA basketball? Because to me, the fact that like Team USA is just like the juggernaut that always wins, and like I have no concern that America is not the best basketball playing country in the world. It's sort of a formality for me. So that's like very different versus like Team USA soccer. I always root for because it would be interesting to actually like. You know, well, it's amazing to actually be competitive and, you know, make it to the you know, knockout stages of World Cup being a, a soccer fan. And, and even the women, like, I think it's it's more fun because it is still fairly competitive and they don't win every time. Um, and it's like their only chance, really. Right. Like, it's not like there's some huge, you know, uh, the, the you know, the women's professional soccer league isn't a big deal. Right. So it means way more for for the um, for the women's World Cup. Um, for me, it's like the Olympics of the basketball Olympics is just kind of, it's not really that big of a deal to me. Like, I, I don't know. Like, is it really, yeah. Well, anyway, whatever. I think we just disagree on this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, no, I'm not, I'm not, e- <laughs> I'm not equating their quality in any way. No, they, they are not similar in any way. But does that make you, I mean, does the fact that I the don't U.S. Care. Kill them. No, no. But like, if you had a choice between winning a gold medal in basketball or winning a world cup, like, Oh, definitely. I assume you would rather win the yeah. World Cup side soccer, right? Just because it would yeah. be significantly more meaningful, right? 
Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, I think uh, I think the bottom line is that um, I'm I'm a Yana Stan. Eric is a true American. Um, so <laughs> there you go. And I think I think the only last question we had was from Jason uh, Shooty Shooty Shooty. It looks like Shooty. Uh, apologies, Jason Shooty. Um, he asked, "When is Giannis's uh, shoe coming?" Uh, I had to Google this because I'm I'm not really a sneakerhead. Uh, Nick DePaolo, I think, in April of this year, uh, reported that his shoe was not going to come out till the fall of 2019. Yeah, and he had, he had kind of updated that again. Um, ugh, I forgot what podcast I was on. Um, I listened to a snippet of it. Uh, he said fall 2019 will be the same way. Um, that hasn't really changing. Maybe you could see it bump up to summer 2019. Um, and my working theory is that Maybe there's an outside chance of a debut of the shoe at All-Star to get pre-orders for the summer. That's just a theory. I I have no sourcing on that. I have not talked to anyone. Um, That is just a a theory I like because that would be kind of cool to debut your your new shoe at All-Star Weekend. That'd be kind of cool. So I don't know if that's even possible. I don't know how shoes work. I'm not a sneakerhead, uh, just like you, Frank. So I don't really know how these things work, but that's kind of a theory and conspiracy I like. So I'm going to go with it. All right. Well, we finally got to the end of our mailbag. It is uh, September uh, 2021 uh, that we're we're now talking to you. Um, It's been fun. Uh, Thanks for sending all your mailbag questions. And um, I'm, I'm done for the week, Eric. I'm done. That's it. We'll see you later, Frank. Uh, happy that you were able to make it through it on Monday. I'm sure this is playing on Friday. It's been a fun week. Thanks for all the questions as always. You guys are great, um, and we're always happy to do these. And thank you for helping us have some content for the entire week. We really needed it. We really appreciate you. So thank you for all that. For Frank Men, I'm Eric Name. This has been Locked on Bucks. We'll talk to you later.